Welcome back, my friends. This is Quinn. And before I jump into today's episode, I want you to remember a few episodes ago, an interview I did with Warwick Fairfax. He's the founder of the Crucible Leadership, and I interviewed him on this Fail Fast podcast. Now, you may remember him as the guy that lost a $2.25 billion media company on a failed takeover. Yes, billion with a B. And after such devastating setback, he now is willing to share with others hope and healing. So, uh, Warwick has launched his own podcast and it's called Beyond the Crucible. You can find this, of course, anywhere that good podcasts are listened to. And if you want to go directly to his site, it's thecrucibleleadership.com forward slash podcast. So check it out, Beyond the Crucible. Check it out. All right, let's jump into this interview. Welcome back, my friends. Today we have Eric Salzenstein, whose story is one that truly shows power and what's possible. From greed and addiction to purpose and fulfillment, Eric found himself facing life in prison with his back against the wall, where he finally had to face his worst enemy of all, himself. What stands out, that he had to go to prison to find his freedom, and he realized it was his own prison long before being behind bars. Today we have with us Eric Salzenstein to tell us his story. Eric, how's it going? Going great, Quinn. I appreciate you having me on, man. Ready to fail fast with you. Man, it's a pleasure. So I know today you are a speaker, you're a coach, you're a very powerful speaker. You're not in prison anymore. But <laughs> no. So you were sentenced to life in prison. Is that right? No, no, no. I was facing, I was facing life in prison. That was like the maximum time I could get. So oh. that was, yeah, that was, yeah. Okay. So Eric, before we jump into the positive things, let's talk a bit about your failures. How did you get there? How did you get to prison? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I just want to say, man, I love, um, I love the vision here and, and what we're doing, talking about failures so openly, because I think there's just so much growth in them. And um, I mean, yesterday, I, some would say I failed at the beginning of the day. And right away, I caught some, I mean, I knew I was like, I, it was gold, it was a lesson I needed right then and there. And, you know, going way back to my childhood, you looking at all, all the different times that led up to me falling in prison, it was a series of different quote unquote failures um, and bringing me through to ultimately where I am today, using that ultimate failure, convicted felon, drug addict, um, anxiety, greed, battling all these things. Um, and to now harness all that and use that for, for, um, for the greater good is just, it's, it's an awesome testimony and shows the power of change. And so, um, to give you some context, uh, for me, growing up, normal suburban Orlando, Florida, um, great family, good, I mean, uh, loving family, good home. Uh, my mom, she taught me God. My dad, he taught me sports. Uh, I had two younger sisters. And, um, you know, I was, the, I was an average, you know, good kid, right? I was into sports. I, I, I had friends at school. Um, and really nothing was out of the you know, ordinary, right, so to speak. And uh, basically, as I went through childhood, there were some different things that probably showed signs of, of, of like maybe some trouble. Um, 
what happened for the biggest thing that stood out in my childhood is I recognized that I always wanted to be the center of attention and I was willing to do whatever it took to, to get that center of attention, to get that light on me. And so if it wasn't in a positive way, such as sports, I would do it in a negative way, such as class clowning or whatever the case is. And um, going into middle school, I developed that. I had that entrepreneurial spirit right from the go. I was selling mixed CDs, selling candy. And, you know, that brought the center of attention on me. You know, that was, and, and so um, all these action steps kind of leading into who I was and you get to high school, it's no longer cool to sell CDs and candy, right? Yeah. And um, at this point, I didn't hit that much needed growth spurt and uh, sports was taking a back seat to my social life. And it was at this point that I basically made a decision, um, a very misguided decision, but a decision to go all in, in more of the social setting, smoking weed with friends, um, and that entrepreneurial spirit kicked in. And I, I basically said to myself, hey, I'm already smoking this stuff. I'm already dabbing. I might as well sell it, you know, and not selling candy, not selling the CDs anymore. I started selling weed. And basically that just escalated all through high school. And um, it just became this, it became, I became obsessed with it. I became obsessed with this image that I created. Um, I became obsessed with the transactions, with my phone always ringing, um, just the lifestyle that it brought. And post high school, I got introduced to the pill epidemic that swept through Florida. So we had, um, we had a huge thing. A lot of documentaries have been, have been made on this. Uh, the Oxycontin Express, probably the biggest one that stands out. Um, but basically like pill mills were, were popping up everywhere. And these doctors were writing prescriptions uh, to people who really didn't need the prescriptions. And they were just, I mean, widespread. And this did a lot of damage as far as with addiction. And, and so I was introduced to this by someone and, and I looked at the numbers and I said, this is crazy. Like, yeah, let's do it. I don't even know what these things were. Hmm. Um, and so I got involved in that and maybe after three, four, five months, whatever it was, I started using the, the pills. So I'm selling them and I'm using them, Oxycontin, uh, Percocet, all these different painkillers. Um, and, uh, basically that really took me down a dark path and I became completely addicted, not just to the drugs, but again, to the lifestyle, to everything that it brought. And so, um, day and night, my, I, I based every decision around, you know, two things like getting high, uh, and my phone, you know, like where, when my phone was ringing, where I needed to go. I mean, that was what my life revolved around. I, I mean, I was a shell of a human being. I had no vision, um, no, no direction, no clarity, no life values. I was, I was just stuck in this place. And, um, 2013. So is that nine, uh, about five years after high school, um, well, 2000, mid to late 2012, really, uh, it all came crashing down and, um, I was arrested for armed robbery in what the detectives labeled as a drug deal gone bad. And, uh, that armed robbery was against another drug dealer. And in, in Florida, that's a punishable by life of uh, two, uh, that's to be 23 years old in prison. So now you talk about you're being against the wall. I mean, my whole world came crashing down. Wow. So I can picture it now or I don't know if I'm creating the right image in my head, but so I can see you living the lifestyle. Are you loving what you're doing at this point or is it kind of a blur? So at this point, like I, I was definitely like towards the end. I realized that things were getting messy. Things were getting chaotic. Things were getting hectic. I had my apartment broken into 
got in a fight with a guy in my apartment, basically fighting for my life. He tried to rob me. Um, cops showing up. I was being watched. And, you know, we, we just had, there was a lot going on. So like, I recognized things were getting chaotic, but I was too, I was, I was gone at that point. Like I was so in, entrenched in, in that, what was going on uh, with, with the drugs and the, and keeping and staying high to function. And then the sales to maintain my lifestyle and, and what I was doing and pay my bills and whatnot. So um, I can't say I loved what I was doing. It just, it, it became something that was like a part of session and, and part, it was an addiction. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then here you got caught, you were thrown in prison and was this your eye opener or not, not yet at this point? Yeah. So I remember being in county jail. I got on the phone with my dad and we're waiting sentencing. I have no idea what we're going to get. The state prosecutor's not working with me. So we're looking at like 10 to 15 years is like realistically what we thought we were going to get offered. And um, I told my dad, I said, look, I said, I don't know what time, I don't know what time I'm going to get. I want to do exactly what I need to do, what God wants me to do in order to change my life. I had this like, you know, at this time, the drugs have worn off. I've gone through withdrawals. Uh, I'm sobered up and I'm looking at my life like it's just, it's over. And all I could think of was to basically have this sense of hope that I will eventually be able to come up out of this a different person, mm-hmm. a person that I haven't yet, uh, haven't yet met. And so I, I remember being on that phone call. I said, dad, whatever God wants me to do to change my life and to get to a better place, a different place. That's the time I want, not a day earlier, not a day later. And, um, maybe a month goes by the state prosecutor that was working my case ends up quitting. She gets married, drops in her entire caseload. It gets dispersed to different um, state prosecutors now. And the guy who picks my case up just so happens that he was a public defender with my private attorney when, when he was a public defender. So they're old friends. And um, this played a huge role uh, that and the fact that this was the first serious charge that I had ever gotten the first felony charge that I had ever gotten. um, The court had some leniency and I was offered the minimum time you can get on this charge in Florida is three years. So they offered me a year over the minimum. They offered me four years and um, my attorney basically told me if I don't take that plea, uh, he's, he's, he's not working with me. So, um, spoke with my dad and my mom and, and, you know, my mom was crushed again. It's like, you look at my background, I'm, I'm the only person in my family who's, who's ever gone to prison. And, um, so, you know, family was crushed, my, but my dad says, we're going to get through this. And, and so I took the four years and started the journey, um, to put some light on, was this the turning point? So a big thing that I coach on, a big thing that I speak on is that we can have the greatest of intentions and we could say, you know what, we're going to start really focusing on our health. We're going to, you know, what business has been doing great, but my health has been suffering. So I'm going to, I'm going to start doing, I'm going to, I'm going to get right with my diet. I'm going to start working out. I'm going to get my cardio in because I know I need to improve my health for my family and myself. So we set this intention, but the problem is, and we all know it, especially as entrepreneurs, that if we don't have a blueprint, if we don't have a game plan in place, if we don't have a structure, a system to follow, there is too many things happening that's going to allow us or that we're not going to stick to what it is that we want to accomplish. We're going to end up reverting back to our means because we did not have the steps in place to get us there. And so that's what happened with me at the very start. I wanted to change. 
I wanted this turnaround, but I didn't know how to create it. My, my parents were, I mean, great. They're great people, but they never taught me. They never taught me these life skills that I'm now coaching on. I wasn't exposed to that. It was very black and white God and faith with my mom. My dad was sports and just like, you know, and you know, good attitude, but that's about it. Right. And so when I started this journey, I, I didn't know how to create these changes. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know. And so naturally what happened when I first got in prison, I went back to what was comfortable. And I, now I'm talking and sharing my stories with the other inmates. I'm trying to gain some notoriety about what I was doing on the streets, kind of using that as a badge of honor. Um, got into some fights. I started smoking and selling cigarettes. I mean, same exact behavior, just in a new environment. And um, I reached out to my brother six months in. So this is the six-month mark. And um, I reached out to my brother and I basically said, Jeff, I said, I need some help, man. I said, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I have no idea how to get to B. I'm at A. I don't know how to get to this next place. And um, my brother, it's funny, Quinn, we've got like two completely different stories. It's like the, the black sheep and the golden child. Like. <laughs> So he's a Stanford graduate, ex-professional tennis player, top 100 in the world. Um, he's a high-performance coach, successful entrepreneur out of Denver. I'm the high school dropout, drug dealer, convicted felon, ex-convict. So, so we're two different tales. But I reach out to him. He's like, all right, I know you're right. I know that you're serious. I can hear it in your voice. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to send you two books. I want you to read these two books. And then after that, we're going to do one coaching call a week. And uh, I'm going to help you out, man. And so that, at that six-month mark, is when I finally got exposed to and introduced to the world of self-development. And um, yeah, that's, that's where the journey really started for me. Man, that's so cool. So basically, you started being coached by your own brother. Correct. Before, before you go ahead here, let's give him some, uh, some credit here. What's your brother's name? Yeah, Jeff. Jeff Salzenstein. There you go. Jeff Salzenstein. Good job, buddy. <laughs> so uh when you're now four years four years in prison right so three is the minimum you got one over four years are you allowed during this time if you have a book can you read it at any time that you want is there limits to i guess is that considered leisure or how does it work yeah so i mean it's we definitely follow a very strict we 4 30 is when we eat chow every morning um, first count at seven. Uh, so it, it, you, you get told what to do, when to do, how to do it, what to wear. Um, I mean, it is, it, and, and a lot of these guards, it's sad, but they, they use that power and they really, I mean, they make our lives difficult, uh, because they just, they're bored and they don't have anything else to do 12 hour shifts. And, you know, they, not to say they don't deal with a lot of headaches from us because there's a lot of people in that space that, they're not concerned, like they're not concerned with change. Uh, there's people that are doing, I mean, hundreds and thousands of people throughout the Florida doing life in prison, let alone the 30 years, the 40 years, the 20 years, I mean, fighting some really, really serious time. So when you, when you, when you don't have like a, a light at the end of the tunnel, you start to maybe act a little differently. And it definitely, it's hard uh, someone like myself, especially at the start, before I was really confident in my new steps, before I was confident in um, the direction that I was going, it was hard for me to really set it, set that line, draw that line, and let people know this is where I stand. People were constantly trying to suck me back into that world, 
And, um, you know, I had to really develop a thick skin. Um, just because I was trying to grow and change doesn't mean that I was now I didn't have to deal with the day to day stress. So if someone still stepped to me and tried to put down on me, basically saying, Hey, you're going to give me your food or whatever the case is. Um, I still now had to defend myself. I still had to fight, which could jeopardize my, my, um, you know, my, my sentencing, like I still had to basically live in that environment and, and, and deal with everything that comes with it. Um, but I definitely started down my own path. So as far as reading and, um, meditation and when I was out on the rec yard, just my using my workouts, the time to completely escape. Um, yeah, I definitely found the right times, spots, places, um, to really double down on my personal development. Perfect. I guess the it kind of helped you. The fact that you were in prison is the what made you change to who you are today, right? You improved as a person, and is that where you developed your rock process? Yeah, the rock process was developed in prison. That was um, it, it was actually the the talk that I gave uh, when I joined. When I started speaking in prison. It was a talk I gave. I won the comp, uh, the speech contest. I went on to speak against two other prisons. So it was three prisons. It was a speech contest with the Gavel Club. It's an offshoot of Toastmasters International. And um, I uh, I came in second there in that in the in the larger competition. Uh, but I was published in a local newspaper, which was a huge win. And that's kind of where I that was that was the time where I recognized like okay there's something special going on here there's mm -hmm. something happening like there's a lot of momentum being built here this isn't the everyday stuff that people are doing in prison so I recognized that this stuff is 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 um, powerful and um, the rock process was was put together and um, basically it's comprised of what I believe are the fourth main things that allowed me to create this drastic transformation in my life. Very good. Are you? While you're in prison, are you allowed to pick if you're going to work to do a certain job or is it mandatory that you do, do you work in prison? Yeah, they assign you different jobs, kitchen, um, you can, you may have, uh, uh, the lawn. So you're doing like, they call them the Flintstones cause they're the old, um, they're the old lawn mowers that you have to yeah. push the push mowers. So like, if you're on that, you're doing all that, you're weed whacking, um, making sure all the grounds are good. Um, you could be a houseman, which is you're in charge of keeping the dorm clean, the dorm that you live in amongst the other 70 inmates. Um, so there's different, like different places that they'll put you, um, and depending on your charges and depending on what you bring to the table. So they also have like education department. I spent maybe about six months or so in education, helping inmates get their GED. So that was a really cool job that I had at one point. Um, of course they have the medical and dental, so you could be working in the offices in there as well. Again, it all depends on your custody level and, 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 and different things like that, your behavior, all that stuff. Nice. And at one point you realized that you had lost your freedom way before going into prison, right? And prison is actually kind of where you found it. So how did you come to a realization like that? Yeah. So. I came to that realization after I got out when I recognized that the, the amount, the, the way I live my life now, really actually, 
it, it dawned on me after I got out, but it's so clear that it was happening while I was in, especially towards the end. Like I was living in a way that I had never lived before. A, a, a new set of uh, this, this confidence that I walked with, communication skills that I didn't have before, um, a, an attitude of, of complete gratitude for everything happening in my life and always wanting to serve others. Like completely just 180 to where I used to be, where it was all about myself. It was all about instant gratification. It was all about, you know, those base desires that I was feeding on a daily basis. And so, and I was, I was chained by that. I was chained by my addiction. I was, I was restrained by my fears and insecurities. I was trapped by my limiting beliefs and doubts. I mean, I was in prison, my mind and my body. And so, I'm in, I'm, I'm towards the end of my sentence. I've got a year left and I recognize, you know, I'm just, I'm just, fr I'm free. Like my mind is free. I know I'm going to be successful in life. I know I'm going to help others. And it was that feeling, that sense of freedom that really just kind of opened the doors and, um, we used that going out when, you know, when I got out and just started building. And the, the getting out of there, when, when you think about it, the last day when you're walking out, What's that feeling there? Is there a mix of fear of what you're going to find out there after four years? Or is it just so much happiness that you don't think about anything else? You know, I, there's, I mean, we, there's stories about this all the time where there's people who do substantial amount of time, uh, 15, 20, 25, 30 years. And when they come out, I mean, it's been two decades and a half, right? It's been, it, mm -hmm. um, they're, they're up against a different learning curve than, than what I was up against. So I can't say that I had any fear. Um, at this point I had made the decision that I was going to use everything that I got and went through in prison. I was going to use that somehow to make an impact in the world. I didn't know how, I didn't know what the steps were going to be. Again, this is where I got the next coach, right? And I uh, got the next plan in place. But that I had made that decision. So I was eager to get started. Nice. So now, now you're out, you had three and a half years of pursuing your personal growth, coaching and speaking. And right now you're a speaker and transformational coach. And you actually have a, a signature talk, which is from prison to prosperity. Yeah. Uh, so now that means we're jumping into all, all the positive things and all the outcomes that came from this. So tell us a little bit about this part now of the brand new Eric. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so essentially it's like, you know, you, you create a brand um, and you have to make sure that that brand speaks to what it is that you're doing and how you're showing up in the world and that what that brand does for others. And so I, I recreated myself and created this brand of somebody who shows up every day uh, with the purpose to make a difference in the world. And, and I believe my purpose is to every single day, um, no matter who the person is, whether it's the person I'm holding the door for, the cashier, whoever it is, I want that person feeling better about themselves or about life after they leave my presence. So the small, and, and when you, and I live with that purpose. So building that brand around that and now showing up just wholeheartedly looking to serve, looking to add value. That's what's given me, I think, so much momentum is, is you know, being that heart-centered alpha male um, and, and coaching on that, speaking on that, and to our youth, 
and, and to many other, you know, in, in many other capacities. Um, so it's, it's been a journey, a lot of learning. And, and I was introduced to the entrepreneurial space maybe about nine months after getting out. Um, and again, by my brother. Went to uh, Craig Ballantyne's Perfect Life Retreat up in San Diego. Um, and this just like it opened my eyes. And I was like, this is the world I want to be in. Like, this is where I'm supposed to be right here. And um, then continuing to get exposed to big, heavy hitting names and um, learning just all different sides of, of how to grow a business and, um, and how you can advance your reach, how you can create more influence and, and, and have a bigger impact and, of course, create more income. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun, um, challenging at times, no doubt, failures along the way for sure. Uh, but I'm loving it and very grateful every, for every bit of it. Nice, incredible story. You know what, Eric? I love the honesty, and uh, you know what the people listening don't know. But before we started here, I asked you, "Is there anything you don't want to talk about, or anything you don't want me to ask?" And you said, "No, uh, anything goes." So it tells me you're you're not trying to hide what the past was. You already learned to live with it, and you just want to now really help others. Is that, I guess. It's the feeling that when you find what you really want, because when you mentioned that after you went to that, that seminar, you, you found this is what you really want to do. And when you said it, you actually smiled. So is that a great feeling when you find what, exactly what you want to do? And in this case, helping others? Yeah, it, it, it's, um, it's like ignition, right? It's like you just get, you're ignited by now a deeper passion um, instead of just doing something for a specific result, which in many cases it, it's money, uh, trading time for money um, or leveraging your experience in a, in a field for money that you're no longer really, you don't even want to be a part of anymore. Um, it, there's something really, really special. And, and when you, when you can say, okay, I'm ready to step away from this. I'm ready to leave this behind um, and step into something greater. And so for me, I was able to basically make a decision that I'm going to leave my past behind. I'm not going to allow it to, because if my, my past, it symbolizes to most people, uh, this person is, he's out for the count. Mm -hmm. Most people think convicted felon, ex-drug dealer, ex-drug addict, you know, like he's out for the count. Um, he's, or, or at least, okay, he's going to, he's going to just go get a regular job. Um, he's going to make an hourly wage and he's going to go through life. And he made his decisions where I just, I wasn't okay with that. Um, I, I've recognized that a person on any level can impact another person on any level. It's, it's an energy exchange. And if, if one perspective is shared that you haven't heard, or if one challenge, if one, if the person challenges you in a different way and that wakes you up. Um, so, so for me, it's like finding that purpose, finding that passion. And, and it's that, that's it's the ignition. That's the, it's, it, let's go. It's work. And what's one of your biggest goals you have for the future? Oh man. So long, I shouldn't say long-term, but, um, yeah, bigger vision is, uh, I want to get into the, uh, drug rehabilitation space. Mm -hmm. So I want to own a bunch of rehabs throughout Florida. Um, and is, is my vision right now for it. And, um, I want to step or I want to take a step away from the traditional 12 step that the 12 steps that we have. And I want to bring a, um, a more of a motivational growth mindset, um, you're not chained by addiction. You're not powerless over your addiction. You're, you're, you're a person who can completely 
switch this off and, and step into something greater, just like I did. Um, I still drink alcohol. Um, a lot of people think that because I was a drug addict and I, whatever the case is, that I should be completely 100% sober and I shouldn't touch anything. People say that if you ever drink again, your life's going to be ruined. And I just wasn't okay with saying to myself, like, okay, so we're talking growth, we're talking empowerment, we're talking uh, strong decision making, but you're telling me that if I take a sip of some liquid or, you know, whatever, that, that mm-hmm. now my life is going to be in shambles. And I get everybody's at different places, but the, uh, how I was taught through addiction, I feel like there's a lot of things broken in that space. And so big vision of mine is to step into the rehabilitation world and um, introduce a, a, a different thing and, and bring about a different type of energy that I think it needs. And you don't, don't have any sort of temptation? For drugs, no. no. Um, yeah, no. I, it's, as far as temptation for what? Uh, if you have that one one sip, you, you don't fall into that category of, okay, one is just the beginning. You don't think that? No, no. If I want to have a glass of wine, you know, with my, with my steak or whatever the case is, or I'm having a, a cocktail when I'm out, like that's a decision I'm making. doesn't have to happen, but I, I, I just don't like the idea of, of confining yourself to a box because of past tendencies where I feel like we can free ourselves of, of, of those things. So because I was once in one place doesn't mean that has to be me the entire life, right? To step into a new place, a new mindset, a new approach. Yeah, I love that. I love that spirit right there. What you were yesterday doesn't reflect who you're going to be tomorrow. Yeah, uh, and I know, I know uh, humans can change and they can change quickly. Sometimes it's hard to believe if the certain person has failed us a few times, it's hard to believe that they can change. But I know, and you know, humans can change in 180 degrees real quick. Yeah, sometimes all it takes is a little bit of motivation. That's it, yeah. And a game plan, and that, and the game plan. Absolutely. That <laughs> game plan, did you put it down in writing? When you have your game plan, your goals, you write them down? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I took away from Craig is the 90-day blueprint. I think this is, is, is basically reverse engineering. Where do you want to be in 90 days? Okay, so what are the steps that you're going to have to take to get there? Reverse engineer that um, and then break that down. I'm a huge, I, I talk about this all the time, get your thoughts out of your head and down on paper. We have too much stuff going on. Um, I think it's David Allen that talks about the open loops that we have in our minds Um, and there's so much happening from the little to the big, if we can't process that, and for me, it's visualizing it. So I like to see it on paper. Then now, once I can visualize it, okay, this has to be done. These are the top priorities. Uh, these can be done in less than 10 minutes. I can knock these out right now. These are the bigger projects. So I got to do bite-sized pieces. Like that's when you can really start gaining momentum in these different areas, health, uh, your business, whatever it is. Um, but it's to me, it's you got to get it out of your head, down on paper, and put put a plan in place with it. Absolutely, I agree with that too. If it's not written down, uh, man, it's just forgotten. In most cases, you have to actually write it down to be able to see, see almost like your GPS. You got to follow that. Yeah, absolutely. Cool, Eric. About your your rock process, does it have a meaning? Yeah, so it's all about building your rock solid foundation. Um, for me, 
I needed a foundation to grow on. I didn't have a, a good foundation. And so uh, when you use this rock, you can, you can basically incorporate it in any area of your life. So wherever it is that you are lacking, wherever it is that you're finding friction, that's where I would encourage you to use a process like, like the rock. And um, just to kind of go through it just a, a, a quickly, R is raising the bar. It's making a conscious decision that your action steps are not allowing you to get to the next level, the next number. You have to make a decision to raise the bar. It goes in two things, finding out what you need to do to do that and finding out what you're already doing that's keeping you from doing that. So you're, the things that are actually holding you back. So it's a two-step two there. Um, the O is owning your thoughts. Um, our limiting beliefs, our fears, our, our, our stories that we've written about ourselves because of past failures or because of different experiences, those can ruin us. Those can keep us stagnant. You have to own your thoughts. You have to have a positive mindset. I know that's some woo woo wah wah, but it is vital. I think, um, to really getting to that high level. Um, C is consistency in your efforts. Um, it's, it's about developing the right routines, the morning routines, the night routines It's about putting things in place that are going to get you to that next level. And then K is know your values. And this is that at the end of the day, the moral compass. So when you have your values in place and you, you can basically every decision you make, you can just bounce it off your values. Is this decision in alignment with my values, moving my business in this direction? Is it in alignment with my values? And, and if, the, if the answer is no, then at that point, like it's, it's, it just makes decision making a lot easier. Absolutely. I like the second one. Own your thoughts, I believe, is very powerful because a lot of people actually spend a lot of their, their life living what somebody else wanted. So they, they hear other people's thoughts when they're expressed to them and you start living what you want the other, the other person to see from you. And I find that's probably the hardest one to to get a grip on is owning your own thoughts and, and pursuing what you really want. Yeah, absolutely. So Eric, where can everybody find you and how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, so, so if you are looking to uh, hire a uh, speaker who's going to come in and uh, look to deliver to your audience and solve the problems that they're facing in, in a motivational style way, in a very moving way, um, you can definitely look and reach out to me via Instagram or Facebook. Direct message would probably be the quickest way to get in touch with me. Uh, my Instagram is my last name, Salzenstein. Facebook, Eric Salzenstein. And uh, my website, ericsalzenstein.com. Uh, but uh, whatever capacity might, at the end of the day, whether it's speaking or coaching, I'm here to serve and add value. So I hope this podcast was something that uh, did exactly that. So Awesome. And uh, for everybody listening, I'm going to have those links on the show notes and I'll have Eric's uh, Instagram, Facebook, and his own website, ericsalzenstein.com. I'll have that all in the show notes. You can check him out at failfastpodcast.com forward slash Eric Salzenstein. Eric, thank you so much. It was a pleasure and you are an inspiration and motivation to all of us. Thank you. Quinn, I appreciate you, brother. All the best, buddy. Thanks for subscribing to Fail Fast Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and visit failfastpodcast.com for show notes, Quinn's social media, or even to tell us your story.